Welcome, welcome, welcome to part five of our series, The Evil Around Us. My name is Dee Bowers with Exposing Truth Ministries in Houston, Texas. Our ministry's mission is to expose the truth by exposing the lies of Satan. Each episode in this series builds on the previous ones. In this segment, we will discuss what happens to the fallen angels and their children who are the demons that work with Satan to destroy our lives. For those of you who have not listened to part four, I suggest you do so and come back to this one. In that episode, we discuss one of the doctrines concerning the fall of Satan. Many people believe that Satan fell to earth with one third of the angels in heaven because he was prideful and wanted to be like God. The one third angels then supposedly became demons. This doctrine was developed using the text in the book of Revelation, which is written in symbolic and imagery language and the misinterpretations of scripture surrounding Satan. I do not believe the fall of Satan with one third of the angels has occurred yet. The fallen angels that have impacted our lives are a group of angels called the watchers, not the one third mentioned in the book of Revelation. The watchers fell out of God's grace before the earth was flooded with water or before Noah and the ark. These angels were banned from heaven and locked up by the Lord until Jesus returns because of their sexual sin and disobedience. The angels had children with women and produced offspring that were giants called Nephilims. The sacred book that explains these events and clarifies the ambiguous scripture in our Bible is called the book of Enoch. This book was banned by the church and declared an heresy rather rather than to expose the truth. The Nephilim were mentioned in our Bible without an explanation. Nor does our Bible provide details of the angels that were banned from heaven. As we study this, I want you to remember that the book of Enoch was written before Genesis, our first book in our Bible. Enoch, per our Bible, was a man that one day walked off with God and no one ever, ever saw him again. He was the great grandfather of Noah and apparently God needed him and selected him to speak his judgment to the fallen angels. Let's briefly describe why God wanted to flood the earth before we pick up where we left off in the last episode. These angels supposedly were sent to earth by God to watch over his children, meaning his mankind. These angels developed an insatiable lust for the women on earth and had this irrepressible desire to have children by them. They chose them as wives, and the children from their union were evil giants. They were hybrids that were called Nephilims. People have been taught that God destroyed the earth and its inhabitants because he did not like the men of the godly line of Seth marrying the women from the line of Cain 
Seth and Cain were both sons of Adam. But the real reason God destroyed the earth and inhabitants with the flood was because of the fallen angels and the Nephilims. Okay, let's pick up where we left off in the story of Enoch with God's judgment of the angels and mankind. There was an angel leader by the name of Samyaza who wanted the women sexually, but he was afraid to act on his own. So he convinced 200 angels to accompany him on his mission of pleasure. They all took an oath and sealed their pact and also agreed that betrayal of the oath would be greatly punished. So they cohabitated with the women and taught them sorcery, magic spells, and spiritual mysteries. These giants ate everything that man produced and it became impossible to feed all of them. They soon started devouring men and animals in order to survive. There was another leader, angel, and his name was Ezelso. He created gear or enhancements for the female companions, like eye makeup and jewelry, things to enhance their sexual appeal. And for the men, he taught the men about swords and knives and shields and other mysteries of heaven. These men, through manipulation by the angels, latched on to war games and they started killing each other. Remember, the Nephilims were very powerful. They had the powerful attributes of the father and the human attributes of their mother. The men cried out to heaven for God to save them because they were being destroyed and eaten up. Long story short, what was going on? Fornication was rampant. The giants were devouring everything, man and beast. And the men were killing each other. God was not happy and was prepared to make judgment. So he sent his angels, Raphael, Uriel, Michael, and Gabriel to intercede on his behalf. Archangels Uriel and Raphael are not mentioned in our Bible, but they are in Jewish literature and other sacred documents. Okay, let's look at the message that God wanted sent to these fallen angels and their children. First of all, God had a message to be taken to Noah. God sent his angel Uriel to Noah and told him to conceal himself because the entire earth will perish with water. But he, Noah, will escape so that his seed may remain in the earth. This is consistent with Noah and the flood in our Bible. God said then, the earth shall be cleansed from all corruption, from every crime, and from all punishment, and from all suffering. It is the only time he said, I will flood the earth. He sent his archangel Raphael to the angel Isozo. Raphael was told to bind the angel that taught the men about war 
And on account of every act of blasphemy, tyranny, and sin, which he taught God's children. Raphael was told to tell him that there would be no mercy and no peace for him. God sent his archangel Gabriel to the giants. God told his angel Gabriel to destroy the offspring of the watchers by inciting them to destroy each other. He wanted their fathers, the fallen angels, to watch them die. Their human bodies would die, but since they are hybrids, their spirits, of course, would live on. God sent his archangel Michael to the fallen angels to announce their sentence. Michael told the fallen angels that they shall see their children kill each other And when all their sons have been slain, they will be bound for 70 generations underneath the earth, even to the day of judgment. Then shall they be taken away to the lowest depths of the fire in torments and in confinement. They shall be shut up forever. This punishment identifies with second Peter in our Bible. This passage in our Bible is one of the passages that is not very clear and it is not defined in our canon. The watchers or the sinful angels became so terrified that they trembled and they sought out Enoch to make an appeal to God for them. They knew they could not go before God on account of their offense and the sins being so grievous. Of course, God wasn't having any of this. He added judgment to the Nephilims. And this is what we really need to pay attention to. What God declared over the Nephilims. He said, Now the giants who have been born of spirit and of flesh shall be called earth evil spirits. And their domain will be earth and not heaven. After their flesh is destroyed, the Nephilim will be called evil spirits upon this earth, which again will be their domain. The spirits of the giants shall oppress, corrupt, bruise, and contend with those on earth, meaning mankind. They shall cause weeping, grief, and sorrow for humans. They shall eat no food, but they shall be thirsty. They shall be concealed or not seen. As to the death of the giants, wheresoever their spirits depart from their bodies, let their flesh, that which is perishable, be without judgment. Their spirits will be for destruction during the time of their fathers. The Watchers. This book of Enoch tells us where these evil spirits came from and that it was God who decided their fate. God said that they would be invisible to us, but cause us torment and cause us sorrow and cause pain for mankind. Can we truly deny that this is happening to mankind today? 
The word Nephilim is used in our Bible with no explanation of how they were conceived or their purpose. The same word is used in a book that was written before our Bible that explains who, where, how, when, and why. If you Google the word Nephilim, you will see that many people are aware of this truth. My question is, why is it still being denied by the church? Most scholars say that the present form of the story of the book of Enoch was written sometime during the second century BC and was popular for at least 500 years. The original was apparently written in a Semitic language, but is now thought to be Aramaic. The book was known by Jesus, who repeats over 100 phrases from the book of Enoch, which was written before Genesis. This book has helped me personally to fill in the gaps that our Bible does not address. Is this what God intended? I don't know. But I do know that the Lord wants us to meditate and seek his word. After discovering this book of Enoch, it answered a lot of questions. Maybe not all, but God is still providing revelation. He provides revelation and knowledge about his mysteries in his timing and to those that he chooses. I had a client years ago where we were ministering deliverance and the Holy Spirit told me not to allow the young man any water. Our client had many issues, but the most difficult one was schizophrenia, which is difficult for a lot of reasons. I remember at our prior meeting with this gentleman, he had drunk more than a gallon of water I told the young man no water this time and we proceeded with his deliverance. Our first session was productive, but this one was amazing. He had many spirits leave from his pores in his head. Being obedient to the Holy Spirit, I continued to refuse water to all of my clients during deliverance. Then one day while I was teaching on Enoch, I reread the judgment of God proclaimed for the spirits where he said, they shall eat no food, but they shall be thirsty. They shall be concealed or not seen. We now have a policy of no water before ministry. I have another story related to water. I had a client on a Skype call for about nine hours where I had her boyfriend cut off the water. The powerful demon in her was weak and kept asking for water. That demon became so desperate that it made my client get out of the chair and crawl over to the wine cabinet just to handle its thirst. The Bible shares a lot about the activities of demons, which of course many people ignore. I think this is a perfect episode to share some of these fallacies. 
about the demons and the spiritual realm. Believe it or not, some of these fallacies are also promoted by deliverance ministries. This first fallacy is heavily taught in the church. Again, there are many reasons why the church ignores spiritual warfare and the subject of evil spirits, but most don't have a problem mentioning the name Satan, but they avoid addressing his army. I believe the most harmful lie is that Christians cannot have demons because they have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will not allow evil to dwell with him. I would like to share four views or opinions about this fallacy. The first one is Jesus says we were born in sin and we will struggle with sin until we die. Okay, if sin could not dwell with the Holy Spirit, none of us would ever have the Holy Spirit because we will all have sin in our lives. The second one is when I remind people that Jesus cast out demons from believers in the Bible, I am told that there is nowhere in the Bible that says these people were Christians. What is not being considered is the term Christian did not even exist until after Jesus left. Prior to Jesus leaving, the followers of Jesus, they were called sons and daughters of Abraham. They were the believers. There are 23 passages or scriptures where Jesus cast out demons. Jesus did not blow them away from their ears or blow them out of the air. He cast them out of their bodies. The third one is scholars still argue over whether we are two part or three part beings. Two parts meaning a body and a soul, which is also the spirit and the three parts being body, soul, and spirit. I believe we are three-part beings, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Demons affect our body and our soul, but not our spirit. Our soul contains the intellect, personality, desires, conscience, and our will. The sin comes from our soul not our spirit. The body is our physical shell. The spirit, I believe, is where the Holy Spirit resides when we turn our life over to Christ. Remember, Adam and Eve died a spiritual death, not a physical death. It did not affect their soul. Their soul didn't die. And their body did not die, but their spirit did. We are born with the spirit, not connected to God. God is spirit and to communicate with him, we must have his spirit. I once heard an analogy that I really like. It says, if you want to receive messages from your radio station, you would need to have a receiver which is our soul. 
but the receiver still will not work unless it's plugged in a power source. That's our spirit. People don't understand the things of God because they're just not plugged in. Now, the fourth viewpoint I want to share, I want to throw something back at those people that say Christians cannot have demons. A minister will tell you that when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, what about a man that is a sexual predator and answers the call verbally to receive Christ? Based on the word, this man receives the Holy Spirit to lead, teach, and help direct his life. Now, when he receives the Holy Spirit, does the demons and the sin leave immediately because the Spirit of God is there? We all know that this individual still has a journey to complete to remove the demons that have plagued his life. Turning his life over to Christ is his first step to freedom until the ultimate goal of sanctification has been completed. That means a life without sin. And that won't happen until we go to heaven. If your pastor tells you that you are saved, Just because you said the right words at the right time out of your mouth without changing your heart, you are being said a lie. But that's another day and a different podcast. Another fallacy is that saying a prayer will remove your demons. Well, prayer is a spiritual weapon that is used to uproot and remove spirits. But the word of God says we must cast them out. This is done using not just prayer, but the authority of Jesus. Some spirits will leave with prayer only because it torments them or Jesus may very well put them out at that time. But some demons are more powerful than others and prayer without confrontation will not make them leave. A third fallacy is receiving counseling will remove demons. Not true. People try medications, they meet with their pastors, or they try secular counseling from a psychiatrist or a psychologist. None of these things will work. You cannot counsel out a demon. They must be driven out. Once they claim you as their own, they consider your body their home and they do not want to leave. A fourth fallacy is demons cannot kill you. Well, they can cause accidents, they can make you sick, and they can convince you to commit suicide. A fifth fallacy And this is a popular one used by pastors. Demons can only speak in your ears to tempt you. Yes, they do speak in your ears, but they reside in three places. Your body, your aura, which is the outside of your body, and your atmosphere around you. Again, when they are cast out, we are not casting them out of the air. They come out through the body orifices, 
the mouth, the ears, the rectum, the eyes, the pores, etc. Sometimes they will leave the body and move to the atmosphere to continue their torment. Demons seek to possess the bodies and seem rather uncomfortable being outside of it. Once again, I will say it again. Once they have a body, they consider that their home and they do not want to leave. The Bible clearly states that we die for lack of knowledge. Many people have died not knowing that their life on earth did not have to be so painful. I have spoken to people and shared with them the source of their problems. What is interesting is the people with higher education are usually the ones with the greatest unbelief. Even when they hear or see the supernatural with their own eyes and ears, they still deny the truth. I don't quite understand that except to say that maybe the denial is more about the fact that it is personal. They refuse to accept the reality that they have demons and would rather let them stay and deny their existence than to be set free. Some have even asked me if they can still have salvation with these demons. That is a question for the Lord. But I will state this. Demons will prevent you from hearing God speak to you. They will try to stop you from reading God's word. And they will try to stop you from effective prayer. All these things are necessary in developing a relationship with the Lord. As we move forward in this series, we will learn more about Satan's strategies, his army, and how to win our battles and claim that victory. If you would like to receive teachings, emails, and notifications, go to our website and sign up at www.exposingtruth.org. Subscribe and like us at our podcast. We also ask that you continue to support this ministry so that we can continue to teach the truth by exposing the lies of Satan. Stay woke and informed. And again, keep us alive through your financial support. This is Dee Bowers with Exposing Truth Ministries.